0: From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel. Providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. I am very, very excited to have as a guest uh, Michael Granoff. Michael uh, is going to talk about a topic that I think is close to all of us, which we're going to talk about cars and driving and the new technology. And it's it's gonna be a very exciting talk and i think one that everyone can relate to michael is the founder and managing director of many mobility which is a venture capital fund based in tel aviv which invests exclusively in the new mobility future aside from several startup boards Uh, Michael serves on the board of Securing America's Future Energy, a Washington-based policy and advocacy organization he has helped establish in 2004. His past board roles included that of electric car network developer Better Place, and he has been involved in three U.S. presidential campaigns, and in 2010 received Brandeis University's Asper Award for Global Entrepreneurship. Welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. Thank you for joining us from your your busy schedule and uh, all of the exciting companies you're dealing with. So let me jump right into my first question. I was walking down the street a few weeks ago, and I stopped to admire, I was visiting a friend in Caesarea, a 1958 Buick Century, a car that is 60 years old. While there are a lot more gadgets and safety features in every new car today, driving a car seems to be pretty much the same experience as it was 60 years ago. Is that about to change? Will driving for my grandchildren be a much different experience than it has been for me?
1: Yes, that's a very good observation, because you're right. We have seen our lives get digitized over the last generation or two, and everything around information and communication has really been transformed uh, just in the last couple of decades. Um, Moving around, and I wouldn't just say driving, but just being able to, to be mobile, Uh, is something that has stayed pretty static for about 100 years, since 1920, when the United States experienced peak horse. That was the year in which the horse population of the U.S. peaked. After that, it began to precipitously decline as car ownership became mainstream. And when you think about it, the uh, system that we live with today, of owning and driving cars uh, and doing so on, on, on roads that were built Uh, for that purpose is is a system that has been built layer on top of layer over the last hundred years and never really sort of thought of comprehensively. And as a result, uh, we have a situation that's very inefficient where uh, individuals, um, usually their second most expensive purchase is a car, and yet they only actually use it about 4% of the time. Half the time that they are using it, they're either looking for a place to park or they're sitting in traffic, and all the while their tailpipes are Spewing out uh, toxins that cause disease and cause global warming. Uh, Israel—it's a very interesting uh, statistic that it's the only country in the world that runs an experiment once a year, which is that on the Kippur nobody drives. And there's been air quality studies done uh, showing just what the impact is of taking all the tailpipes away just for one day. And I think uh, every element uh, of moving around is actually going to effectively get digitized. And and, and yes, I think. Uh, for your uh, children and grandchildren, in the world of uh, moving around will be radically different.
0: It's interesting. I, I, about six months ago, I read a book. I don't know if you heard it called "One Summer in America, 1927," by, by Bill Bryson. And he he in his theory is that 1927 was the beginning of the twentieth century. A lot of things happened that summer, particularly Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic. But I think your observation or statistic about horses and cars, uh, he might have to make a little amendment <laughs> to that <laughs> book because that seems to be uh, no less significant than Lindbergh crossing the Atlantic. Uh, let me move to a specific company, which I think whenever people think about new car technology, uh, Tesla comes to mind. Is is, it, is revolutionary claims to be, or in your opinion, will they make it? or will it be the second company of the Tucker?
1: Well, it's, um, it's it's always interesting to discuss because I actually had the opportunity to sit with Elon Musk right around the same time that I met uh, Shahidatsi in 2007 uh-huh. and uh, to evaluate um, these two companies kind of side-by-side side in, in their in their infancies. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that deterred me around Tesla is that uh, over 100 years um, there have been several attempts by people to start new car companies that had that not succeeded. Um, you know, I, uh, I think uh, whether uh, what, what the future of Tesla is is obviously one of the most talked about and controversial things in all of business these days, and I don't think I have any special insight. I'll say that they are um, to be commended for demonstrating something very important to the world, which is that uh, electric cars are not as was the popular owners a decade ago, they are not commensurate with golf carts. And in fact, they can be much faster, much better performing, much more fun to drive than, uh, gasoline cars are. And they have certainly, uh, done an enormous amount uh, for people to understand that. And, and just for that alone, they should be commended. Uh, you know, and today we are now seeing that they're going to draw competitors from all of the mainline automakers and, um, and, and whether they can um, sustain that uh, will, uh, remains to be seen. But it will certainly be an interesting few years ahead. All
0: right. All right, so let me go from the general, which my first two questions to something more specific to you. You, you founded a fund called Maniv. Uh What type of companies do you look for, and why do you think many of them are in Israel, as I mentioned at our opening, uh, which has never had a car industry?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, Just recently at the uh, Paris Innovation Center Center launch, Jack Ma, the founder and CEO of Alibaba, one of the most important companies in China, observed that Israel uh, does not make cars. But he then added Israel has the best car technology in the world. And that is an assessment that I think is um, coming to be shared by many, including um, many in, in the auto industry. Uh, What's the reason for it? I think it goes back to what I mentioned before about digitization uh, as a theme. And obviously, Israel played a very uh, large role uh, in uh, software and cybersecurity and sensors in uh, the the digitization of many areas uh, of our lives. And now, as that comes to mobility, uh, Israel's finding that a lot of those same skills uh, apply themselves. What we see in terms of uh, founders and entrepreneurs that, that we talk to is it's rarely uh, kind of the young uh, 24-year-old out of uh, the 8,200 unit, unit that's coming with the business. It's more often uh, someone who was in that position maybe 12 or 15 years ago and has had several uh, startups and has had maybe an exit or two, uh, maybe uh, in telecommunications or in uh uh, enterprise cybersecurity or some adjacent area, and that sees the uh, ability to apply that into mobility and automotive. That way, there's an enormous market, an enormous uh, opportunity to make an impact. And so, I think that's why we see this uh, incredible deluge of quality startups in mobility over the last number of years. It's estimated there are more than 500 startups in mobility alone here in Israel.
0: Wow, amazing uh well most of my listeners and and you mentioned it a few moments ago are familiar with the company better place uh, i had many friends and relatives who who visited israel were taken on a tour they had a very nice visitor center uh in glilot a few years ago where where did they fail in your opinion
1: well um <laughs> that's a, that's a subject so large that uh not only could a book be written about it, but one has been written ah, about okay. it. Uh, and I would commend your readers to it. Um, it's called totaled by Brian Blum, who is a Jerusalemite and uh, former Better Place car owner, uh, and columnist for the Jerusalem post, um, totaled by Brian Blum. But, um, you know, the, kind of on one foot, uh, I'd say I still, uh, to this day, even though it's an academic conversation, I, I frequently find myself defending the Better Place model. I think, uh, what Agassi uh, developed in terms of this idea of taking away all of the reasons why someone wouldn't get into an electric car uh, by taking on the burden of ownership of the battery, uh, by making the infinite range possible through battery switch and by taking away uh, concern about residual value on the electric car, because the battery wouldn't be part of that equation. I think it was a brilliant and totally workable model Um, where things went wrong really was in the execution, which, You know, it involved being in concert with global automakers, governments, infrastructure, uh, and it was a a lot to balance and a lot to manage, and that was not successfully done. And I also think um, uh, we didn't really effectively communicate uh, to the public what what we were uh, trying to accomplish, and um, there are, as I said, many, many things to say on this topic, but those are what I would really uh, sort of say on one foot.
0: Right, that's certainly very insightful. How, how close are we to autonomous cars on the road? A few years ago, I was in Palo Alto, and uh, I was at a stoplight, and a, and a Google car pulled up next to me, and I noticed there was no one in it. Um, I certainly didn't feel uncomfortable. We both left when the light changed. We both pulled away approximately at the same time. Um, I understand that was an experimental vehicle, but are we are we getting close to seeing... Uh, autonomous cars uh, like I saw in Palo Alto, here in Israel, let's say? Um,
1: Well, I was going to say first that you can still see many of them in Palo Alto, in San Francisco, in Arizona. Uh, Waymo, which is a subsidiary of Google, um, recently passed 10 million miles of testing of autonomous vehicles. Uh, Cruise, which is a subsidiary of GM operating in the Bay Area has um, um, been experimenting in the city of San Francisco now for over a year and intends to uh, have a commercial service as soon as next year. Uh, So I think the question is less about when, because uh, really the answer is virtually now, uh, and the question really is about where. And I think uh, there will be pockets of areas where uh, these um, uh, services, uh, driverless uh, taxi services effectively will be, available, um, you know, in, in a very, very short uh, period of time. Now, as far as Israel is concerned, it has actually been um, a, um, a vision for myself and for my colleague uh, Olaf Sackers, uh, who wrote a paper on this topic that actually brought us together in 2014, uh, that Israel be in the forefront of deployment of autonomous uh, cars. And um, our, our, our dream has uh, uh, just about come true last week. As It was announced that Volkswagen, Mobileye, and Chanty Motors, who is the local importer of uh, VW and, and VW family cars, uh, those three entities are, are teaming up with the, uh, with the blessing of the government of Israel to bring robotic taxis to Israel in experimental form in 2019, but with the wow. aim to have commercial service within just wow. a couple of years after that. Oh, so it's a very crazy. exciting time.
0: Very, very exciting. Um, so in general, what do you think the auto industry is going to look like in 10 or 20 years? Uh, what will we see on the road? Where In reference to what you said before about how much time uh, cars yeah. aren't really being used, w- will we see less vehicles? Will there be more efficient use of cars?
1: I think there will be. And I think uh, one important thing to keep in mind is that um, people uh, often describe me as in Uh, You know, quote the self driving car business, and yes, that's definitely part of what we do here underneath. But um, we um, see this as really a uh, kind of uh, poor disruptions happening at one time into the area of how we get around. And uh, those four things are first of all, data data communications, the connected car. Virtually all new cars that are sold today come with a dedicated modem and are. exchanging data with the cloud uh, all the time. That has huge implications for the operation of the car, the safety of the car, and commercial services around the car. So that's one. Uh, second is uh, mobility as a service. And you know we've seen the rise of Uber, the rise of Giddy in, in, in China, and uh, Israelis are familiar with the Get, which uh, isn't quite um, as exciting as the others because it's still limited, unfortunately, effectively to taxis and not to the, uh, and not allowing the market to function to find the right uh, amount of supply to meet the demand, as uh, I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced when they see that uh, circle of death on, on the Get App. Um, but nonetheless, that is, the mobility and service is certainly the second leg of this uh, mobility revolution. Um, then there is uh, electrification, which is um, obviously what Tesla began uh, to do. Uh, and what better place intended uh, to bring, uh, and it's a, a very important uh, aspect because of uh, the cleaner air it brings, the less expensive energy, the more diverse energy and and really the more um, m- works much better for uh, autonomy and for and and for mobility service uh, uh, companies. And finally, uh, autonomy itself. So, there are really kind of four legs to this new mobility school, so, uh, and, and each one of them I think will in, will, will, will change and improve uh, our our ability to, to get around over, over the next uh, decade or two. You know, the uh, the end goal, as many see it, is is kind of the pre-floating robotic taxi that you can summon very quickly to wherever you are to go, wherever you need to be, without having to worry about uh, the burdens of, uh, car ownership, the burdens of driving, traffic, parking, etc. Um, and uh, like I said, that won't show up everywhere simultaneously and it, it will take some time to play out. I think it's very hard to predict how long a time that will be. But along the way, we've already gotten some of the benefits of some of these things I described and that will continue to uh, play out.
0: Well, I, I always say the thing that I'm most looking forward to in this, all these changes and disruptions is that my kids won't have to have the conversation I had to have with my father uh, when I had to take his keys away that, uh, you know, they'll say, dad, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll just take out my smartphone and order uh, whatever, you know, as you say, a driverless taxi and I can get to wherever I want to get to.
1: It's a it's a very it's a very important point. Uh, that that's one aspect of it. Another is you know for people who are too young to drive or people who uh, have physical uh, disabilities that don't allow them to drive. And all of these categories of people, until now, in a world in which car ownership and operating has been the rule, all of them have been really disadvantaged. And one of the things that's very exciting about this is that. Uh, we think that this platform will make mobility equally accessible to everybody, and, and that's uh, something we're, we're, we're really striving
0: for. All right, you mentioned uh, young people and them not being able to drive cars. I, I think uh, my attraction to cars—I remember as a young boy seeing my first uh, Corvette Stingray—that was quite a quite an experience. As I got a little older, I wasn't yet licensed to drive, but I remember my uh, seeing my first nineteen sixty-nine. Dodge Charger, uh, which I sort of still dream about, that I'll be able to own one someday. But, but what what attracted you to cars?
1: Uh, honestly, uh, I, I was not a uh, kind of gearhead as a child, as, uh, as, as my boys actually seemed to be. Um, uh, I, I was never uh, that enthusiastic specifically about cars. What brought me into the industry, frankly, was being a New Yorker of 9-11, and understanding in the couple of years following that the uh, intricate connection between energy policy and national security. And it was really uh, causing such uh, horrible distortions that I couldn't believe uh, that we lived that way. In other words, uh, transportation is the lifeblood of the global economy. And the cost of oil actually affects everything from national budgets to kitchen table economics to whether somebody can afford to get to work. And uh, that price uh, was not being set in free market; being and still is manipulated by countries whose uh, economy is entirely dependent on oil. And uh, as a result, um, we 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 end up uh, you know in a situation where um, we, we don't make uh, the, the right decisions in the market and in, in foreign policy often. And so I uh, decided to dedicate myself to some extent to helping to try to break the monopoly of oil in transportation. And uh, that was through the organization you mentioned uh, in the introduction, Security and Future Energy. And it was through that that I came to the conclusion the only scalable replacement for oil really was electric, battery electric, and that even the pace of uh, battery progress and, and given the fact that I think at the end of the day, um, oil uh, has to only increase in price over over time. Uh, if, the electrification was, to me was inevitable, which is what got me enthusiastic about about the better place idea and, uh, and and today about uh, the, the electric platform over uh, these uh, autonomous uh, mobility service vehicles.
0: All right, let me change the subject to something else on your resume, which or uh, your involvement in presidential elections. I myself, uh, as a very very young boy, I. I very much recall the 1960 presidential election i think which was a big turning point in u.s politics which was kennedy versus nixon i followed presidential campaigns since then uh i see you've also been involved in three presidential elections to what extent have you been involved
1: well in in, in, in several different ways uh, as a high school student in the 80s i happened to read about uh, a, a woman who had gone to uh, Hebrew university in search of uh a program for uh, parents of preschool youngsters to help them be their children's first teacher that she found uh, very attractive and she brought that program back to the United States. And that, that woman actually was Hillary Clinton and she was a defined Prince Lady of Arkansas and uh, Arkansas became the, uh, the hub of uh, the home instruction for parents of preschool youngsters that uh, was developed at Hebrew University and was uh, then ultimately just uh, um, came from Little Rock to, uh, I think, uh, ultimately all fifty states, um, and um, so that kind of caught my attention. And then when uh, when Bill Clinton ran for president in nineteen ninety two, I uh, became um, a uh, deputy Jewish uh, National Associate in his uh, in his campaign staff uh, that year. Um, and uh, subsequent to that, I, I developed a, a close friendship with uh, Senator Joe Lieberman. And when Al Gore tapped him for vice president, um, was, uh, was, was involved in that. And also in, in, in what <laughs> most people have now forgotten, uh, which was 2004 Joe's own run for president. That uh, didn't, didn't last that long since, uh, he, he was the only Democrat, uh, who favored the Iraq war. And obviously that's been a big political liability, uh, uh along the way. Um, and then, you know, most recently, um, uh, in, in, in 2016, I, I, I ended up raising a little bit of money for, um, the, uh, the candidate who I thought had the uh, potential to uh, heal a lot of the, the wounds that um, the U.S. experienced while reversing a lot of the things that I thought had been uh, mishandled by the Obama administration, and that was uh, actually uh, Governor Jeb, Jeb Bush of Florida, which was a little ironic since I began my career right. presidential, right. presidential right. politics, still working against his father, but um, yeah.
0: Okay, very interesting. Let me just end with a question. I actually, by chance, a Uh, I had lunch with this client today he he was a pioneer in the digital camera space and he told me once that uh, he once met the head of Kodak um, and he told Kodak to get out of the film business uh, which the head of Kodak at the time this was uh, probably 20 years ago even a little less said, you know, are you crazy? I I make 86 cents on every dollar of film I sell why would I want to get out of that business? um... Obviously, there was a lot of disruption, which we all—no uh, one even has a camera today. I think young people don't even know what a roll of film is. But when I think about the things you're working on and the type of technologies, would you would you advise people to get out of the oil business uh, if electric cars are going to become the standard?
1: Well, I, I, I do think a lot of people um, sort of make the mistake of thinking that the incumbent in this disruption. Uh, like Kodak, that uh, this time around, that it's the car companies. Um, and I, I, I agree with what, what you said. I think the incumbent here is the oil companies. And um, I'll just, uh, I, I'm not going to give anybody sort of financial advice um, okay. in terms of oil stocks and things like that. But I think if you look at the top 10 most valuable companies in the world 10 years ago, in 2008, I think you'll find six oil companies on that list. And if you look at it in 2018, um, I know that uh, XM was barely holding on, to it's tenth spot the last time I look. And um, I think uh, seven out of the top nine, uh, including obviously the, the 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 number one, two, and three, uh, are, uh, are are technology companies. So I think that is uh, a a definite sign of the future. And I uh, and I definitely think oil is going to have a much less impact on the economy going forward. Um, but you know, still big, big business, and I'm sure that it will still be uh, uh, up waves, up and down uh, before it uh, before it uh, contracts.
0: Yes, I I read the other day that magazine Wire uh, celebrated their 25th anniversary. They listed you know some of the most successful and powerful companies. And many of today, many of them did not exist 25 years ago. They just didn't even exist. Uh, you know, if we yeah, think of sure. the, the 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 Facebooks and the Google, I mean, it's it's amazing. So we're we're living in exciting times, and you seem to be a part of it, Michael. So I, I appreciate you sharing. If people want to know a little more about your fund,
1: um, they can visit our website at www. dot. com. That's M like Mary, A N like Nancy, I we like Victor com and uh, they can also get in touch with us through the site
0: alright well thank you today this was really interesting very insightful it gave us a little look into how our lives are going to change in the coming years it sounds like sooner rather than later and uh, we thank you for all your good works uh, to make that happen thank you it was a pleasure bye bye I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein and Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn.